think Paul says today, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. Jesus says in the gospel, if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, mustard seed is very small, you could say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. This idea of the power of faith in Christ, what's been given to us uh, through the Holy Spirit, through our baptism, through our trust in Jesus, is supposed to be powerful. It's supposed to make us strong. It's supposed to make us have self-control. But it's mysterious because it's not like we become superheroes. It's not like the, the sacraments are magic and then all of a sudden all our problems go away and we stop having the same sins and faults and, and character defects. The way that grace works in our life, it is strong. It is um, courageous. It gives us this, this newfound strength that we didn't have before. But it's sometimes when we enter into our weakness most profoundly that we experience it. Just as an example, I read a long time ago a story of a guy who struggled with alcoholism for years. So much so that he had lost his job. He had, uh, his wife had divorced him. He um, basically was homeless. He was living with somebody, but... Uh, had no money, his addiction had cost him everything, and yet he couldn't stop. And one day he was walking with a little bit of money he, he scrounged together to go to the liquor store to go get booze to get drunk again that day, and like he had for every day for like a decade. And something just stopped him on his walk to the liquor store, and he just decided not to go, not to buy booze today. And he turned around and he went home, and that was the beginning of, at the time, 18 years of sobriety. But something just happened in his heart. Faith the size of a mustard seed so, unlocked some freedom, some power in his heart that he had access to. But he just wasn't using <laughs> He wasn't asking for the help. And something that day, mysteriously, not because of his own strength or thinking through his problem or, or anything like that, just mysteriously this new strength entered into him, this desire to be free. And he had the power to be free. Um, I think a, a friend of mine who was, this is not as serious as alcoholism, obviously, but uh, he couldn't stop vaping. He was just addicted to nicotine. And he had smoked earlier and then quit with vaping. And the vaping is like this thing that's even more addictive because you could just do it anywhere. You can sneak it. And, and uh, it was a daily habit. Every day he would use it. And he was totally attached. And one day at Mass, he heard the reading from St. Paul. Um, when I was a child, I used to think as a child... And now that I'm a man, I put away childish things. And the first thing he thought of was the vape. And he went home and he just threw it all away and then like tied it up and like threw it in the garbage outside. So that, like all his vape juice, his vape rig, every, everything, he just put it in the garbage. And now he's got nine months and he's not used it since. Like, these are just simple examples of attachment. But there's some power, some self-control, some freedom that God is offering us that we're just choosing not to use. St. Augustine struggled with chastity, and his famous prayer before his final conversion was, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Like, I want to keep enjoying this. I want to stay mired in my sin for just a little bit longer, because I know that once I let you have this power in my life, then I have to, like, totally let it go. I have to be truly free. I have to allow this strength to, to like, take hold of my heart, to become a different person, almost. St. Thomas More uh, one of my favorite saint stories. St. Thomas More um, was the Chancellor of England in the 1600s. 
And he was a friend of King Henry VIII. And King Henry VIII, you know, he, he was a pretty scandalous king. He had several wives, and some, many of whom he had beheaded. And he was a tyrant, and he named himself the head of the church in England during the Protestant Reformation, effectively breaking ties with Rome and breaking ties with the, the Pope and basically taking possession himself of the entire church in England. And St. Thomas More just couldn't agree with it. He, he just said, this is not okay. Um, I can't accept this position in government if it requires me to take an oath of fidelity to King Henry VIII as the supreme head of the church when I'm actually a Catholic and I have to take, I, I believe that the Pope is the rightful head of the church. Um, and so Thomas didn't go looking for martyrdom, but he wasn't going to do something that uh, violated his conscience. He wasn't going to say something he didn't believe. And um, the king was not satisfied with that. There's a, there's a play and a movie called A Man for All Seasons about this story. And it's, it's a beautiful story. Um, that Thomas More simply just uh, is carried into martyrdom, almost unwillingly. Because the king insists he won't leave well enough alone. Thomas is not going to make a big stink. He doesn't want to be a famous rebel or anything like that. He simply wants to do God's will. And he won't do anything. He won't say yes to anything that is a violation of his conscience, even if it does require him to suffer, be imprisoned, and finally die. Um, and there's a moment in the, in the story when he's finally going to be put on trial. And the king is just going to, he's going to make him say it or kill him. Say that he's the head of the church in England or you die. And Thomas knows that this is the end and uh, he's got no way out. And his son-in-law uh, takes him to the boat. He has to take a boat all the way to the palace or the court or wherever the trial is going to happen. And um, his son-in-law is worried for him, worried that he's going to die and suffer, but also worried that he might break. He might like violate his conscience and finally be so afraid of death that he and Thomas just says to him before he gets in the boat, don't worry, the battle's already won. Like, he has already fought this fight in his heart. Of like, is it better to live and to, to betray God, or is it better to die and cling to him? And Thomas has already decided. He just knows in his heart that this strength is here, that whatever temptation they might, whatever thing they might offer me, you know, if I will just go with it or whatever. That fight has been won. Jesus won it. Something very powerful about that. that like, we can have this confidence that God's grace is victorious. I have access to God's grace whenever I want it. He's never leaving me alone to fight these battles by myself. That I can count on him. There's a movie in the 1990s called Life is Beautiful. I recommend it. It's um, Roberto Benigni, this Italian actor who's amazingly charismatic and, and hilarious, actually. And he is a, a father of a Jewish family in Europe during the Holocaust, during World War II. And he's deported to a um, concentration camp. And afraid that his, so his wife is torn from him, his wife goes to the women's camp and he goes to the men's camp, but afraid that he's going to be torn from his son, who is like maybe six or seven years old, he, um, or maybe younger, he sneaks him into the camp with him, into the, through the train and everything. And the guards, the SS, don't know that this little boy is there. Um, and he kind of hides him in his bunk and uh, takes his, what little food he's able to get and feeds it to his son. But the, the thing about the movie that makes it so captivating is that the boy doesn't know that this is a death camp. That the father makes it into a game 
in order to protect his son's innocence. He, he, he tells him that these guards are the referees and all of us are players that are in the camp and we all have to get um, enough points and the winner gets a tank at the end. And the boy is having the time of his life. And the father obviously is suffering a great deal. Um, and, you know, what little he has, he has to give to his son. And, and he's constantly in danger of being found out and, and all this stuff. And the son is just free to, like, enjoy his time with his father in the most miserable place on earth. I think that's, that's something very powerful, that no matter the situation, the presence of the father, the presence of the one who loves us, can transform the greatest misery into this joy. But on the other hand, no matter how good we have it, we could be in the best place on earth. And if we're alone, if we're there to fight every battle by ourselves, it's the worst. Imagine you're like a five-year-old, six-year-old at Great America, or old enough to ride the rides, let's say, but not old enough to have any money or know where you're going. But, and then it's just the greatest place on earth until you look and then mom's gone or dad's gone and you're by yourself and it's just all these people. You don't know where you are. You don't have any money. You don't know how to get home. It transforms from this place of, of joy and gladness and freedom to a place of terror and isolation and fear. The presence of the one who is strong, that's what makes us strong. St. Paul is not saying you weren't given a spirit of cowardice, you were given a spirit of power to say, now you're on your own, that you're a superhero. God's grace, you never need God again or anybody else. You've got it all yourself. It's no, in recognizing our weakness, in recognizing our smallness and the greatness of God and how much he loves us, that we will never lose a single battle if we ask for help.